All human thought, all science, all religion is the holding of a candle to the lowest power Are we here because we gaze at the stars, or do we gaze at the cause we are here, pointless from When the stars were right, they could plunge from the world to the world, the sky. When the stars were wrong, they could not live. But although they no longer lived, they would never really die. When the universe is vast and inexplicable, and you are weak and insignificant, then you know you are playing Call of Cthulhu. This is an actual play of Call of Cthulhu 7th edition, featuring adult themes and horror. Listener discretion is advised. Find our published scenarios at starsarewrite.com or contact us for help unleashing your own twisted tales upon an unsuspecting world. And now, settle in, dear listener. Intrigue, high adventure, and cosmic horror await when the stars are right. Hello and welcome back, listeners. Today we will be playing session 19 of The Children of Fear, written by Lynn Hardy and Friends and published by Chaosium. Who are you all playing and how are you today? How? I'm playing Dr. Eudora Lockhart and I'm enjoying teaching tens in CalSag about trains. <laughs> Brayden. Hey, I'm Brayden. I'm playing Sofian Bazazwan, who is staring out the window. Noxicals. I'm playing Timur Stepanovich Rapin, and I'm going to buy a trench coat and become the 1920s version of Blade, but for ghouls. (laughs) (laughs) And Lydia. Hi, I'm Lydia. I'm playing Hasina Moes, and I am extremely impressed with what Timur just did to shoot a pisacha point blank. (laughs) And I am Fedra, you keeper for the day. And I bet we'll have a good time at the channel grounds uh, this, this chapter. Looking forward to it. Oh boy. Noxicals, tell us what happened last time. A madcap moonlit dash across Peshawar, and our heroes grab their belongings and part ways with their trusty caravan. Catching the next train out of Dodge seems like the safest course of action. Luck is not on their side, however, and the party find themselves stuck conspicuously out in the open on the train station platform, having narrowly missed a train. Dr. Lockhart struggles to maintain her composure as the wait for the next train drags across several hours. Is it just paranoia, or is someone watching our would-be museum robbers? Is that gentleman in the turban boarding the same train, the policeman from yesterday? A cabin is secured for the first leg of the journey, and the first few days pass uneventfully. A newspaper reveals that the museum was broken into again the day after our adventurer's daring heist, and that Moorcroft, the museum director, has been attacked. Was someone else after the ritual bowls? All agree that it is time to set watches overnight. On the last night of the train journey, Sofian and Eudora's watch is disturbed by a scream from a nearby cabin. The bowls are hidden, and Timur peeks out, only to be overwhelmed by the inhuman stench of rotting flesh. Pisachas! Timur slams the door, but the foul dog-like beasts try breaking through. Drawing his trusty Mauser pistol, Timur shoots blindly through the cabin door, and a yelp, followed by the sound of shuffling footsteps running away, tells them their attackers have fled. Following the blood trail, the party find the ghoulish beasts have jumped from the train. The rest of the journey is uneventful, but for more hideous dreams filling our heroes' sleep with visions of the apocalypse to come if they don't succeed. Will they find what they need to craft the ritual instruments in Rajir? Stay with us to hear what's next. Okay, so uh, since we've finished the chapter and we're about to enter the new area of our adventure, I've already done the Keeper Rewards, but I thought I'd give you a bit more time uh, to do the rest of our investigator development phase. Let's uh, go one at a time, and you can tell me uh, what skills you managed to improve between the previous and this session. Lydia, why don't you go ahead first, since you're at the top of my of my list? Well, unfortunately, Hasina has not managed to improve any of her skills, but she has gained back two precious, precious points of sanity. Of course, from the Keeper Rewards. Mm-hmm. Very That's good. right. How? So Eudora somehow managed to get even better at archaeology, just nerding out over her textbooks, um, presumably. Picked up some factoids to pass on to Shen Chu and Hasina. She's a little bit better at dodging, 
no better at shooting, sadly, but I picked up a few points in first aid, listen, spot hidden, uh, and stealth, apparently, and did not manage to improve her luck, uh, which sucks because it's the group luck. So still just as unfortunate as we were. Awesome. Brayden. Sofian managed to get his charm up to 73. He Amazing. improved his navigate by 10 points, increasing it to 50. His psychology by two points, increasing it to 62, and his spot hidden to 67. Very good. And Noxicals. Uh, yeah, so I did my roles for both Timur and Shen Chu. Uh, Timur is slightly better at first aid, uh, psychology, and spot hidden. And Shen Chu is slightly better at climb, but only Timur improved his luck, unfortunately, given that Shen Chu is also one of those lower luck members of the party. Excellent. And... Uh... Now that we're through with improvements, would anyone like to make any changes to their backstories to reflect their journey so far? I mean, yes, for Timur, I'm very firmly adding Shen Chi to my uh, significant people at this point. Yeah, that's very fair. Yeah, she's acting more or less as a surrogate daughter. I've sworn to protect her both to my friend Jan Yu, who is now a rat man, <laughs> and to her. So I, I think it's safe to say that she's a significant person at this point. I think I'd like to add uh, the whole party to my significant people because, uh, yeah, as, as I've said before, Eudora, never necessarily that much of a people person. This is the, the first time she's been in close quarters with the same people for this prolonged period, except for her husband, Charles, who sadly isn't with us. But uh, he's been her only uh, meaningful person so far. I'm going to add you lot, including Hasina, because, uh, you know, they, they've grown close. She's kind of yeah. taken her under her wing. She's wearing her yeah. borrowed clothes, traveling yeah. with her <laughs> luggage and, uh, and attending her lessons. Yes. Anyone else? Sofian will also do the same, as you are all he has left in this world. Aww. And Sofian, he needs a hug. He uh, does. He does. That mustache wiggle. <laughs> and finally, we can do some uh, self-help to improve sanity. We can say that whatever happened, happened during your travel at some point. Uh, in between fighting ghouls and uh, getting terrible visions and uh, reading newspapers. Let's start with Hasina. Would you like uh, some self-help to uh, get rid of your indefinite insanity? I would love some. Okay. So what would you do? Would you interact with your key connection? Tell us what it is and uh, give us a little bit of a, of a scene uh, that ideally involves some sort of risk. So if you fail, I can destroy it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, Hasina's key connection is music, music and dance. She loves to dance. It's it's kind of been her hobby all her life and she's got a real talent for it. And um, I think she finds a real sort of catharsis and emotional outlet in it. So I think when they reach their destination and uh, they're in like a market square or, or some kind of plaza whatever there is in in this new town there's a sort of group of traveling entertainers and there's like a somebody doing magic tricks and uh there's, there's a, a small kind of not exactly an orchestra but you know just two or three people playing various folk instruments and there's a singer and um there's the singer is singing a song and hasina is like i i i know this song this is this is one from this is a song from my area from 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 way up in the mountains this my mother used to sing this to me and she kind of goes through the crowd a little bit and just tries to get a little bit closer to the to the musicians and is listening to it and she kind of starts humming along and then starts singing along and eventually i think there's a few people in the crowd are starting to dance and i think she walks over and she joins them and and just starts sort of just letting out all her, all the kind of pain and all her, everything she's been through. She's just sort of letting the music just flow through her and she's just sort of finding almost like a communion with it. And she's just, just letting it all go, letting it all out. Okay. Roll me sanity, please. I want to do this and I don't want to do this. So I've got sanity of 47. 45. Oh, that was close. Oh. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> that was very close. That was close. Hasina, please regain 1d6 sanity 
Yes. And you are no longer indefinitely insane. Yes. Yes. Oh. Uh, points. Four points. And not focus anymore. I love it. Ah. This uh, dance and reconnection to joy in life after so many, so many days stuck in the feeling of being dead finally makes you feel alive. And you let go of this need to cling on to the undead. Of course, part of it will always remain with you in moments of vulnerability, mm-hmm. but you feel stronger for now, and you feel oh. like you can take this life head on. It's a lovely experience. I oh. say, I will say this happened between trains because yeah. I haven't described where you arrived yet, okay. as opposed to your final destination. But it, it works out. It's great. Well done. Oh, uh, Eudora. So. Eudora's been uh, giving impromptu uh, seminars on um, history and art and geography and, and whatnot to Shenshu this whole time and to Hasina more recently. Um, and her whole ideology is based around the idea of uh, free education for all and in particular increasing um, education and opportunities for Chinese women. So that's the ideology she's been pursuing. Gosh darn it. Come what may. Uh, but I wonder if she, there has to be a, an element of risk to it. And I guess now away from the safety of the, well, the familiar adventure of the archaeological digs and then the the safety of um, the lecture hall, she's now very much in the thick of it with uh, not only um, a student who very much doesn't want to learn in the form of Shen Chiu, um, but also an immortal uh, monk who I think might be casting a slight pall over the proceedings, uh, not only because he might occasionally interject with, no, no, I was there, uh, it wasn't like that, <laughs> uh, but also because I think Eudora's always had a very, um, you know, rigorous academic view of the world and the discovery that there's all these mystical undertones um, and that things that she thought were purely ritual and cultural and all the rest of it might in fact have had potent magical significance. Um, there's a chance, I guess we'll find out with the role, uh, there's a chance that might shake her worldview a bit. Roll sanity, please. Okay, so sanity 58, reasonable odds. That's a 13. We're good. Regain 1d6 sanity, please. Ah, yes. You feel connected to your purpose of lifting up other women. Sure do. That's for sanity. Thank you very much. And Timor. So yeah, I think there's a couple of things that Timor is going to do. Um, the first thing he's going to do is, whilst he's on the uh, the train journey, he's going to write uh, a letter home to his wife and daughter. And the letter to his wife will be sort of relatively short and sweet, explaining that he's still going to be away for some time, asking her to look after you know affairs and to look after Manya. And the letter to Manya will be significantly more sort of emotional and asking her to you know look after herself and continue with her studies and what have you. But then in terms of trying to connect with something, lots of Timur's sort of beliefs and ideologies are being questioned with everything that's going on. He's always felt as though the things that he's doing somewhat covertly around his normal life are the most important things. But now he's getting wrapped up in this strange sort of semi-spiritual supernatural quest. And so he's going to spend his time drafting a very careful telegram to his handler that he's going to send in the town that we stop over in, basically saying, I'm having to pause normal operations to chase something more important. It's something of a, you know, an unusual nature, and I think it's potentially sort of earth-shattering. And he's going to sort of hold out for some sign, having given the, the name of the town he's going to end up in, He's going to hold out hope that there will be a message waiting for him at the next town saying, okay, that's fine, we understand, this is important. So he's hoping that his handler and uh, his people understand. Roll me sanity, please. Okay, someone's got to fail, right? That's an 81, I failed! (laughs) It was meant to be. It was meant to be. Possibly because not a lot of time passed in between those two dates. Uh, possibly because they have forsaken you. You never heard anything back, but you did take that time to consider your mission once again. After everything you know, after having interacted with so many different types of people and other creatures, 
you start to think back about your training and the truths they fed you while they were preparing you for this mission and you start doubting it all. In fact, you feel guilty for some of the things you've said and done in that past life. And suddenly, even though you fear removing yourself from that life completely, your faith in it has diminished. You will definitely not die for that mission. You can change your ideology and traits and lose one's sanity. Okay. I think uh, Timor has other things that he's willing to die for now. Okay. Sophian, would you like to do a self-help phase? I will. You know, travelling from his hometown and having such a horrible experience as he did, he's been spending a lot of time thinking and has, you know, now knows that although the family that he had doesn't hold a place in his heart anymore. Um, the people he has around him are the most family he's had for a long, long time. And I think particularly watching Hasina uh, get joy out of the singing and the whole market musical scene that probably happened, Sofian will find a lot of beauty in that and will get his camera out and begin cataloging moments that he shares with his new family and attempt to find some clarity in that. Is that interacting with your significant people or with your treasured possession? Uh, it's treasured possession. Okay. Roll sanity, please. Eh, I failed. Oh no. Lose one sanity, please. Being saved by a Bollywood dance routine would have been really awesome. <laughs> I know. Uh, as you get lost in the crowd, feeling the excitement and not watching your step, you get pushed by someone and your camera flies off into the distance and smashes into several pieces. You run and try to recover it, but people trample all over it. And by the time you get there, there's not much to salvage. You have no camera. I think Sofian will just sort of stand up on over top of the pieces of his broken camera and just scream and begin stomping down on the pieces until there's barely anything left of it. Sofian, my heart breaks. Is being broken down one piece at a time. Oh, that was so sad. I mean, I would introduce you to communism, but I've just fallen out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be quote of the night. Amazing. <laughs> I had no idea we had an undercover communist with us this no, whole time. Absolutely not. <laughs> when were you going to spring that on us? Well, I mean, just it, there hasn't been any need for it to come up. No, I mean, there's, there's a reason I've been hanging close to the wife of the American uh, ambassador. Yeah, that figures. Oh. <laughs> wow. Goodness. Shook. I knew Ryan. something was going on. I just didn't know what it was. And that is very Does Timor tell them now that he's fallen out no. of communism? Not no, yet. Timor's okay. not going to tell them. No, it, it'll, it'll, take, it'll take a verge of death event for Timor <laughs> to admit anything. <laughs> he is stoic Russian man. I was going to kidnap you. I didn't, though. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you everyone for this uh, thrilling investigator development phase let's uh, continue with our mission Radje the modern town of Radje lies only 20 miles from Bodgaya in a valley a short distance from the steep hills of the old city that flank it to the south its red buildings peek out from beneath verdant trees now a bustling market town, Rajir's streets are lined with hostels and boarding houses, any one of which would make an ideal base for you if you have no local contacts. The hotels, along with numerous eateries, cater to the pilgrims making their way to the various holy sites scattered across the hillsides. 
hold to the kunds, also known as water tanks, fed by medicinal hot springs the region is famous for. In the heart of the town, there is little evidence that this region was once the nerve center of a great empire. Tenzin says, Now time to find Sitavana, says Tenzin. Mm. Is this going to be another um, magic Malong mirror moment? Or uh, are there like, you know, clear signposts? Is Sitavana in our guidebooks? Tenzin seems to be racking his brain, but he's struggling a little bit. If any, does anyone have any knowledge of Tibetan Buddhism? I think it was just Janyu. Janyu. No one has taken time to study any Buddhism, huh? Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. I believe I attempted to and failed at some point. <laughs> Other than Tenzin, he would know, presumably. Mm. Yeah, sure. I've been too busy destroying everything I love. Oh. <laughs> 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 It's on a one-man quest of self-destruction. It's going to be the moustache next. <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. Not the moustache. Oh, my lord. <laughs> the moustache is the main character. <laughs> he says, uh, maybe we could uh, ask some of the locals. Hmm. Good idea. Well, Sophia, would, would you do the honours? You uh, speak the lingo? Certainly. You there. Person. <laughs> <laughs> Sophin hasn't been doing very well. <laughs> he's, uh, he's angry. <laughs> Bless. H- hello? Uh, how can I help you? Tell me where exactly Satavana is. The local looks at you strangely. Uh, Satavana? Yes. That uh, charnel ground has long since disappeared be- beneath what they call the old and new royal cities. Uh, the ruins are located in the valley beyond the town. You can't reach ah. that, I'm afraid, but there are two other ancient channel grounds, if that's what you're looking for. They're close to uh, Veluvana. It's at the foot of the northernmost ridge. They say, huh. uh, have a good day. Thanks. Then they walk off. Bye. Tenzin says, hmm, I suppose it's not surprising, he says sadly. The stories were old even when I first heard them. Still, it would have been interesting to see where Guru Rinpoche was initiated by the Dakini. If it's been built over top of, would it not have also been able to... uh, Could you not access it now? Perhaps there's sewers running underneath the royal city. Or cellars, perhaps. I don't believe so. Let us make our way to uh, Veluvana. It should do. I must ask, what material do we need to create these musical instruments? Tenzin appears reluctant to answer your questions on the way. He says, it is uh, a delicate matter, which must be handled sensitively. And Mm. this is neither the time or the place to do so. All will become clear. Okay. Speaking of handling sensitively, um, well, Eudora would like to check in with Hasina because presumably in the course of their... uh, When we first started this journey, um, Eudora was giving her, I think, a nightly uh, makeover and uh, (laughs) mud cleanse because of whatever scrabbling she was doing looking for corpses, right? Yeah. Subsequently, there's been our daily lessons and uh, just a a frequent check-in, I think, just sort of, how ghoulish are you feeling today, dear, sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) On On a scale scale of one one to ten. ten. (laughs) Like when you get a hospital, the pain scale, it's like, hmm, yes, this is a She's got the little drawings and at the one end, it's like, no, not ghoulish at all. And at the other end, it's a cannibal yeah yeah frowny face eating a mummy's arm yeah <laughs> totally and so presumably we were there watching your bollywood sequence uh mm-hmm. when she got you know lost in the dance and, and yeah. maybe we've seen a, a bit of a change in her demeanor since so i guess yeah eudora would take so. a moment to say now um he did say charnel ground dear i just um how, how are you feeling because you could um we, we could find you a cafe or something no no i I've come with you this far. All right. Um, well, if it, if it proves too much, uh, nobody's going to think any the worse of you. All right. Uh, I'm sure 
but there's plenty of us. Um, you can always look. I, I don't mind. The, the two of us can um, can just go get some air. Okay, you just say the word. No, the, you've all sacrificed so much for me. You've put yourselves at risk for me, and I've been nothing but a burden to you until now. Please, I need to help you. Nonsense. I need to play my part. We're all in this together. I'm very happy to have you. All right. Let's do this. As you make your way towards Belluvana, you notice Tenzin has stopped. He looks as if he's thinking. And then he says, oh, Of course, why didn't I think of this sooner? Silly me. I just remembered stories of another famous channel ground at Rajagriva. Uh, one where Padmasambhava received knowledge of the Ferba, the three-sided Tibetan ritual dagger, from a terrifying scorpion creature. Oh. I wonder if either of these two sites mentioned by the locals could be the location of this miracle. A quick glance at Shenshu. Mm. What else did the story say of this scorpion creature? Not much else, but it was large. Hmm. Let us go. M more than more than head height, would you say? <laughs> Shenchu is kind of like, Timor, <laughs> you said. I will keep you safe. You head to the first of the two channel grounds that lies to the northeast of the sanctuary of Velovana, set back from the road leading from the modern town through the hills to the farmland beyond. The area is lightly covered with trees, and the aromas of burning wood, incense, and charred meat hang heavy in the air. When you arrive, Tenzin takes you to one side. He sits himself beneath a solitary tree. Join me, please. It is time for us to discuss why we're here, and what exactly you'll need to do. I know it may be difficult for some of you, but trust, please that I would not ask of you anything that isn't essential to our success. Hasina suddenly goes very pale. Trust you, Tenzin. Can I get a reading of handout one and handout two, please? Oh. That summarizes the conversation you have with Tenzin, but does not complete it. Legends tell of the fierce and dangerous demon Rudra, the reincarnation of a Buddhist practitioner who perverted the teachings of the Tantra to his own ends. Eventually, after many terrible battles, the demon was slain and his body cut up into eight pieces, which were carefully placed across India. His head, heart, navel and genitals were positioned at the cardinal points, while his limbs were laid at the primary intercardinal sites. From each part of his corpse sprang a great tree of a different species, and around these trees grew the eight great charnel grounds of ancient India, the Astamahasmashana. Although the locations of most of the fabled eight great charnel grounds have been lost to time, Huensiang claims that Rajgriha was home to one of them, Sitavana. The wandering Chinese monk relates a strange tale of how the inhabitants of a nearby city were plagued by non-human creatures who kept burning down their houses, the king insisted that if anyone lost their home in this way, they should build it again, but on the site of the cool grove, Sitavana. When the royal residence too was burned to the ground, the king built the first of many new palaces on Sitavana's sacred ground, hence the town's original name, Rajagriha, the house of the king. Over time, Rajagriha was abbreviated first to Rajgriha, and then simply to Rajgir. It's kind of like a reverse... Uh building on a cursed Indian burial ground like he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Charnel grounds, often located next to rivers, are where Buddhist, Hindu, Jain and Sikh bodies are cremated, if appropriate. According to religious law, certain corpses cannot be cremated, such as those belonging to holy men and children under the age of puberty, while others, such as those of the poor and unclaimed, simply cannot afford the wood for a funeral pyre. In areas lacking sufficient wood for cremation, bodies are either buried or left out for wild animals to pick clean. Sky burials, such as this, are also part of the Tibetan Buddhist and Parsi traditions for both practical and spiritual reasons. 
If the charnel ground is next to a river, not only are the ashes of the dead disposed of in the water, but so are some of the corpses not fit for burning, usually those of the poor and unwanted. Apart from using them for their essential function, people generally avoid visiting charnel grounds as they are reputed to be the home of fierce gods, ghosts and evil spirits. Shiva, in his guise as the Lord of Ghosts, Bhutesvara, frequents charnel grounds with his consort, Kali. Tantric adepts of both the Buddhist and Hindu faiths also seek out charnel grounds in order to gain occult power and knowledge. Thank you both. Penzin proceeds to say, you will require certain musical instruments to perform the liberation ritual to thwart the king of fear. Music and dance are an important part of such rites, and, because of their intended use, no ordinary instruments are sufficient for the task. Therefore, you must gather the materials you need to make new, special instruments, ones with the necessary power to support you in your battle against Agatha's evil. In tantric practices, be they Hindu or Buddhist, Bones contain power, particularly if they come from the right person. That is why we have come here, to find the bones and the skin needed to make both a Damaru and a Kangling. I hope that you can assist me in gathering the necessary components, and with my guidance, join them together in a ritual that will increase and focus the bones' latent potency and ready them for use against the inhabitants of Agatha. That's much better than what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say, okay, everyone, remove your arms and let's make flutes. <laughs> this isn't <so> bad. <laughs> has lost it. Yeah. That's the camera and I was like, all right, take my arms, why don't you? Uh, for more information on what a Damaru and a Kangling are, uh, feel free to roll history or a cold, uh, art and craft instrument or law, Hindu or Buddhist. I remember what a Damaru is from Professor Warner. He said it was a ritual drum. Very good. Okay. That's the skin, then. Would you accept a history of art role? I guess music is art, so mm. why not? Oh, well, that I've got a small chance of doing. Nope, 72. No, I failed as well. Henson proceeds. He lets us all scratch our heads for a while. <laughs> <laughs> then he explains. A Damaru is a double-headed drum held in the right hand and played by twisting the wrist, forcing two beaters attached with cords to the drum's waist to swing back and forth and hit the drum's skins. Although usually constructed from wood, goat or snakeskin, wax and silks, tantric versions are made from joined calvariums, domes, of two human skulls. Their beaters formed the other carved pieces of human bone, the skins and leather adornments from human flesh, and their tassels from silk and braids of human hair. A kangling is a type of horn or trumpet made from a hollowed-out human femur and adorned with copper wire and leather, not necessarily human in origin. One head of the femur is removed completely and part of the other head is sawed off to create either a single or double horn, depending on where the bone is cut. We are not after any old bones. To ensure the greatest potency, the bones must be taken from specific corpses. For the Damaru, one must be male, ideally a 15 or 16 year old Brahmin boy, and the other female, ideally a 15 or 16 year old Brahmin girl. Failing that, a 16-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl are the ideal donors. The Kangling's requirements are equally specific. The left femur of a 16-year-old Brahmin girl would be most effective, but failing that, the right femur of a Brahmin boy of the same age is almost as good. After that, the femur of a murder victim is better than that of a victim of an accidental or weapon-related death, followed by the bone of someone who died from a contagious disease. For both instruments, the bones from those who died of old age are almost useless. 
and those from people who died of natural causes after puberty also. Interestingly, bones taken from a llama or Annie's corpse are powerful. That is, uh, llamas like me and uh, Annie's are nuns. But they're not ideal. Despite their holiness, their donor most likely died of old age, which keeps them from being the best possible bones to use in a ritual of this sort. As well as these bones, we need human skin for both the drumheads and the adornments. Sinews will also be useful in the Damaru's construction. The skin must come from either a fresh corpse or the remains of a mummified holy man, boiled in a vat of butter after death, as is the preferred technique for Buddhist lamas. Unlike a lama's bones, such a skin would be ideal, partly because it has already been preserved. A fresh skin would need to be tanned by being buried with copper salt in a special concoction of herbs and other sacred ingredients for up to a month, time we do not have. If all else fails, a fresh skin could be suitably preserved within a couple of days. He looks at you, gauging your reaction to everything he said. Hasina is staring at him with her big steel grey eyes and trying very hard to not let panic take her. She doesn't want to go back to what she was. Eudora's got her brown eyes fixed firmly on Hasina, just kind of <laughs> tense and ready to, <laughs> <laughs> to, I don't know what, I guess tackle her if she suddenly goes on a cannibalism spree. Pull her back from the all-you-can-eat buffet. Exactly. Tenzin, these charnel grounds are now ruins. How will we, how will we know we have the correct bones? That is a good question, and I'm glad that you seem to be willing to do this with me. Without these instruments, our chances of succeeding are very slim. I believe that we might be able to identify the sex of a complete skeleton based on the shape of the skull and pelvis, as well as the rough age at the time of death. The cause may be harder to confirm, but of course, if all else fails, we can use them along to view their history. It can see the past of people as well as places? As long as we're in a place of spiritual significance, which the channel grounds of course are, then it can see in the past. And of course, we'll have to be careful not to upset the sensibilities of Rajya's current inhabitants. Although there is tradition of such practices across India and Tibet, they are still viewed as strange and terrifying by the majority of society, particularly those of uh, European descent, who first thought that the bones the holy men used in the rituals were acquired through cannibalism. <laughs> Looks at Hasina. I'm uh, hoping that the Dalits, the untouchables, that's the lower caste of India for anyone who doesn't know. Those who tend the charnel grounds can help us, if we're really lucky, there may even be a resident Kapalika who can point us in the right direction. That is the keeper, the god of the channel ground. Either way, we must search the channel grounds to see what we can find. Hmm. Well, I suppose there's no other way about it. We have come this far. If this is what we must do, then we must do it. Very well. Thank you for your commitment to this journey. We believe in your cause, my friend. It is our cause. Hmm. While wandering through the trees in the first channel ground northeast of Ilovana, you come across three funeral pyres in various stages of completion. The first has people still gathered around it, while Brahmin priests conduct the final rituals to set the departed on their way to the next life. At the second, Dalit workers carefully turn the body with long poles to ensure that it's properly cremated. While at the third pyre, more Dalits sift through the ashes, recovering bone fragments for ritual disposal. In one part of the channel ground, next to the burial site reserved for those who cannot be cremated, is a graveyard for Indian Christians, complete with tombstones. In another section, separated from the main cremation area by a small lake, is a clearing littered with bones. 
a young Dalit workman shatters the larger bones with a mallet, while a naked man with long, matted hair, smeared from head to foot in cremation ash, picks up the remaining bones and inspects them carefully, separating out some, including a human skull, while throwing out others back where he found them. Anyone not used to seeing sky burials, feel free to roll sanity. That's double sanity for you, Eudora. Eudora in particular shudders and takes a couple of steps back when she sees this ash-covered gentleman with his bone altar because she's been having visions about him for ages, so... Yeah, sanity rolls. Zamora has failed. That is one sanity. Shenchu has failed as well. Everyone who failed loses one sanity. And, uh... Do I need to roll? Sorry? I, um... I don't know if I'm used to them. I'm used to dead bodies. <laughs> you you clawed your way up out of a grave. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know about yeah. sky burials. I don't know if they would have done them in my village. Possibly. Uh, probably not, but I'm going to say you're okay. Like, it wasn't that long ago since, like, you wanted to eat dead bodies. So <laughs> probably some bones wouldn't upset your sensibilities too I'm much. I'm trying, trying not to think barbecue. Plain <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyone failing uh, is somewhat shaken by the bizarreness and settling sight. And we just lose the one point, yes? Yeah. Uh, The young Dalit seems to be pointedly ignoring you, even though at the same time it's obvious he is watching you carefully. Perhaps uh, he might help us. Let's go ask. What exactly do we say? Hey, do you have any of these specific bones that we can use? I've got a shopping list. (laughs) (laughs) Probably talking to the uh, priest covered in the ash would be the most respectful way to start off, I would think. Okay. Eudora definitely steps to the back of the group if we're talking to him. (laughs) Hasina worships Kali anyway. She's like a sort of patron almost to her, so I think she'd she'd greet the, the guy in the ash. Uh, The naked man uh, seems to be shifting through picked clean bones. As you approach, he offers you a grunt of acknowledgement, but nothing more. May we speak with you, sir? He does not respond and continues his work. After a few minutes, when he has completed his survey of the sky burial site, he gives you his full attention. His dark eyes glitter when he sees the Lama's Katvanga. Was the Katvanga the ritual staff with the yeah. skulls on it? Has Tenzin just been carrying his ritual skull staff around the streets? Uh, I suppose he took it out for this part. Wasn't it like particularly special because the uh, skulls on it weren't carved or something? They were like real yeah. human skulls. Yeah, it's super metal. So this man is a tall, emaciated man. He's covered in ash with long, matted hair and an equally matted, straggly beard. He reeks of sweat and excrement, and his breath is foul. Around his neck hang several rosaries carved from human bones. He starts talking back to you, but at the same time continues walking further away from you toward a nearby clearing. What were you going to say, Hasina? We need your help. We are looking for specific bodies, specific bones. We can't explain exactly why we need them, but we just need you to trust that we have a greater purpose in mind. And she'll explain the kind of ranked order that um, Tenzin explained about how, you know, a younger boy or girl of Brahmin caste or a murder victim, whichever is the most appropriate. A special kind of bones. We need the bones of a young boy or a young girl of Brahmin caste. This might be hard for anyone who is not used to the graveyards to understand, but I know that you can believe in what we are doing and why we need them. He continues walking, and you see an odd-looking tree in the center of the camp where you arrive. Feel free to roll occult, history, anthropology, or law, and botany or engineering science if you have any, which you don't. I've got history. Nope, way out. 70. In front of the tree, there are remains of a small fire and the Agoris' few possessions, a cremation shroud, 
a kapala skull bowl, and a carved knife with a carved bone handle. To one side of the clearing is a stone shrine, obviously of great age. On it, a circle of red-painted human skulls surround a carved stone statue of a three-headed man. A neat pile of yet more skulls, not all human in origin, is stacked in a space beneath the shrine. You're welcome to roll natural world or medicine if you like. I got 40 in natural world. Nope, still way out. No. The sadhu places the skull he took from the sky burial site on the ground in front of the shrine, and then turns to address Tenzin Kalsang, watching him closely for a reaction. Died by the sting of a scorpion demon, he says. Then his bones will make a powerful weapon against your enemies, replies Tenzin, if that is what you wish. Apparently satisfied with the answer, the sadhu waves towards the fire, indicating that you should all join him. He settles himself on the cremation shroud and lays a few small branches on the smoldering ashes of his fire. He looks directly at each of you in turn, his eyes obviously searching your faces for something. Ignoring Tenzin, whose worth he has already judged, he speaks. Usually, no one talks to me unless it's healing thereafter. They're too afraid of what I am. So, it's bones you want? Or is it counsel from an Agori? Both, perhaps. Bones, most definitely, but if you have wisdom to share, we'll take any we can get. We would be honored to hear your wisdom, sir. The dead are more powerful than you can imagine. Both their bones and the spirits still attached to them. They act as my guides and protect us if appropriated correctly. You notice that the strange sadhu has been absent-mindedly playing with the carved skulls on his bone necklace while you were talking to him. He says, You cannot take the bones from my channel grounds. They belong to me. The other channel grounds south and west of this one would make a good hunting ground for them. It has no resident agori and tends to be favored by the area's Buddhists due to its placement on the far edge of an ancient vihara at Veluvana. There are also numerous ruined stupas in among the Chano grounds, bamboo groves. On top of that, the local authorities tends to use it for the disposal of the corpses of disease and murder victims, as well as any bodies that remain unclaimed. Sounds perfect, but... We've heard of a scorpion demon protecting one of them. Will we meet this adversary there? <laughs> no. Good. I have one. Feel free to roll psychology if you'd like. Yeah, he sounds legit, doesn't he? <laughs> I think that's a hard success for Timora. Fail. The sadhu is hiding something. Is he speaking in English or is he speaking in Hindustani? That is a good point. Let me see. I don't know what you're saying, but you're oh, hiding yeah. something. His English <laughs> is 70%. Cool. He's Fantastic. He's like, and his Hindustani is 70%. So he's bilingual and fluent in both. Yeah, he's Wonders. fine. Yeah. Hasina probably gro- greeted him in Hindustani, then switched to English so that everyone could understand. In which case, Timur will say. If there is something important that you need to tell us, I would ask you that you do. Well, it is obviously a place of great power. I have my reasons for not gathering bones and bodies from there. Partly it's due to tradition. The Agori of Rajir have always favored the northern of the two ancient burning grounds. But more than that, There is just something about the place that makes me feel uncomfortable, so I avoid it. Have you ever heard or seen anything? No, 
I just have the sense. Unfortunately, we have no other choice but to go there then. If you are certain that you cannot assist us yourself, then I suppose we have no choice. Sadhu, sir. I have passed through the grave myself, and I understand a little of how you must feel living here with people afraid to speak with you. These people were not afraid to speak with me. These people helped me and helped me heal myself. If there is any advice, any further guidance you can give us, or if you could accompany us, you would be doing the world a service and Kali a service too. I cannot join you for I am meant to stay and protect my channel grounds. But I do have a piece of advice. If you can stomach it, <laughs> I know you can. She kind of nods respectfully, and I think he sees. He sees, doesn't he? He knows. He knows. And he says, he looks at you straight in the eyes, and he says, Eat human flesh. It keeps me from aging. How old would you say I am? You find that very hard to determine, partly because of his em emaciated form and unkempt appearance. Uh, you're welcome to make a guess, any I of you. Would not, I would not dare to hesitate to guess. Oh, do it! Uh, 63. 40. <laughs> uh, anyone else? Eudora does not say anything, but she will put her hands on Hasina's shoulders. Timur will just cock an eyebrow. Oh, very well. I am 99. Well, that's rather impressive. I told you. I think I'd rather die a younger man than consume human flesh, I'm sorry to say, but... He waves you off and gets up and starts walking away turn to Hasina and Eudora and my friends and say people and their fad diets <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing Kato, could you believe how old I am? <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of today's episode, thank you so much everyone, Brayden, Noxicals, Hal, Lydia and of course our amazing co-editor Jason, you have all been the best and a big massive thank you to our listeners, you're all exceptional. Your listens, comments and ratings are incredibly helpful. But if you want a way to support us further, consider joining us over on patreon.com forward slash stars where you get access to episodes a week early. We'll be back shortly to record Beyond the Madness for our Cold Elder and Avatar tier patrons. They get access to behind-the-scenes discussion after every episode, as well as bonus episodes, exclusive Discord channels and more. Speaking of Discord, you can find an invite link to our Discord community, as well as all of our social media links on our website at starsaride.com. Come join us. Now, farewell, dear listeners, until the stars are right again. Before moving on to this week's Beyond the Madness, let's take a moment to read one of our latest reviews. If you'd like your own review read out on the show, go to starsaride.com forward slash reviews, where you can find links to all the platforms you can rate us on. McClappin has said, The Stars Are Right crew never failed to disappoint. Between an engaging plot, devious side quests, and interpersonal hijinks, each episode is a pleasure. I especially enjoy the effort that gets put into a character voice and personality. Dr. Eudora Lockhart for the win. Thank you.